You're live on the Regional Media Podcast Network. Let's get down to business. The discussion with local media trailblazer Fletcher Ford featuring special guest Darren Brown. We're going to discuss it right now. If you want to be successful locally, you have to get your butt out of bed and put in the work. Yeah, I know. The guy's really good. Yeah, he's so sharp, he probably cut himself smiling. The discussion, local, helping local. All right, this is my show, and it's a serious intellectual hour of discussion, and I want to keep it that way. Yeah! <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, baby! Woo! Fletcher has access to some of the highest performing people in small business today. We're talking about a lot of money here. That sounds so good. This guy has connections. Fletcher Ford, featuring special guest Darren Brown. What the f*** are you two talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? And now, the discussion. Welcome to the discussion. I'm host Fletcher Ford with my trusty sidekick, Darren Brown, and we are welcoming Jimmy Bela today. Jimmy is host of Fox Across America, a stand-up comedian, and an all-around crazy dude. Jimmy, welcome. Yeah, well, what a time to be alive, honestly. And I didn't know Darren Brown was going to be on this. I would have ironed my T-shirt. I had no idea. <laughs> this is a, I'm putting this broadcast on my resume. But it, isn't it kind of funny, Fletch, that like um, we are doing so much remote broadcasting these days? Like my show, Fox Across America, launched on March 9th of last year. And the whole premise of the show, you know, Fox Across America, we're going to be doing the show live all over the country. And within five (laughs) days, it became Fox Across Zoom. And we were just (laughs) hanging out, you know, just the way I dreamt it up as a little kid. I remember telling my teacher in first grade that someday I'd get a nationally syndicated talk show and host it from a spare bedroom in my house. I always I always dreamt it up this way. Mr. Shimenti, I'll show you. I'm going to turn my closet into a recording studio, lady. We'll see who's laughing then. And uh, that, that has very much been the reality of our, of our lives. And the show now starting to get back to normal. But I will tell you, and I want your opinion on this too. Um, did you guys go in the beginning of lockdown to any of those Zoom cocktail parties? No, because I'm not a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I did host one with all of our GMs and salespeople. <laughs> so, Yo, so, yeah, so all I, these guys are drinking beer on my dime. All right on, nice. Yeah, oh, hey, yeah, definitely. Well, you see, <laughs> you might I have never, even paid for it. <laughs> I, I, I never went to one because I just always assumed I was going to log on and it was going to be an intervention, you know? <laughs> Like, like my, like my family was going to be like, Jimmy, you RSVP'd yes to an eight o'clock in the morning cocktail party. You know, like I thought it was going to be one of those. <laughs> so I never went, but I, I knew it was a thing. And uh, I was, I was fascinated by how people tried to adjust to that, like make it a part yeah. of their lives and then just quit. They were like, no, we're not doing it. Because I haven't been invited to one of those since maybe like last May was around when people quit. Right, Darren? Yeah, I think so. It sounds about All right. right. They were well, happy. now that I've com- now that I've completely corrupted the beginning of the show, I will dish the rock back to you. Nice well, to be here. Yeah, great. We're glad you're here. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in being such a funny ass comedian. Oh well, um, honestly, I really did learn humor as a survival skill growing up because I was the youngest of four kids, uh, a big police household back when you really were allowed to beat your kid, your older brothers beat you up. And honestly, I had a pretty funny family, but I learned to kind of deploy humor 
as a way of like one getting my way, but two not getting just thrown around the house. <laughs> like I was playing in one of the toughest divisions in sports because everybody grew up to be like a tough roughneck, you know, strong cop. And, you know, I was kind of a doof. So I always had comedy as, you know, a survival skill in my house, a social skill, because I grew I was a pretty fat kid growing up, uh, which like a t-shirt in the pool kid, which by the way, to any of the fat kids listening, <laughs> you said t-shirt. You're better off owning your fat than you are putting on a t-shirt because the t-shirt, when it gets wet, it clings to you and it makes you look worse. <laughs> like a t-shirt on a fat person, it looks worse. Take it from a guy who's worn. But uh, comedy was always like, you know, it was it was it was a superpower in that I probably growing up dated like four or five weight classes in prestige above my head because girls kind of thought I was fun to be around. And I did pretty well for myself. And when comedy took me into business, um, I kind of like always known I wanted to do stand up. And I started doing stand up and driving a taxi in New York City. And in New York City, of course, comedy is there to like relieve the tension and traffic because you don't want anybody to stab you in the neck with a screwdriver because you made a wrong turn on 39th Street. But the weird thing is, after driving a cab for two years, you're hoping someone will stab you and kill you. It's like you evolve. Your standard does evolve. But yeah, I started off. Oh, I'm, sh I'm sure you get a lot of good stories from being in cabs. You probably used a lot of that in your, your sets, didn't you? Yes, I talked a lot about, I have a stand-up special that's on Amazon Prime, not to, not to sandwich board and self-promote too much, but if one of you were to watch State of the Union with Jimmy Fallon, I would get a 10-cent royalty from Jeff Bezos, so take off the apron, <laughs> Jenny Fallon, we are going out tonight, it is going to get routed. I don't know but, if uh, Bezos can afford yeah, that. Yeah, man. but yes, but if you know if you know of my stand-up special and you're still friends with me, that I, that's a big deal. You get comeback credit for that. But no, uh, loved comedy, and yeah, that's how I started off. I was driving a cab doing stand-up comedy in the city. I saw an old uh, an old YouTube video where you were doing like a like a cars for coffee thing or something. It was funny as hell because you kept you're you're riding this bike around and you. I mean, you just look like a complete idiot. Do you remember that? I was riding a bicycle around? Yeah, see, you don't even well, remember I, that. Fletcher, I got to be honest. I have had some real dicey representation through the years. <laughs> so God knows what might be out there with, like, my likeness on it. Like, I'll have – this is a funny story. I played – there was a mobile app called uh, the Flips mobile app. And essentially what it was – it was, a, it was like a Roku or one of those devices you put on your TV that allowed you to stream what was on your phone on your TV. You follow me so far? Yeah. Well, I signed a deal um, to, do, uh, to portray the mascot, which was called the Flips Fairy. And it was me, 6'1", 235 pounds, in a pink fairy costume with giant fairy wings, skin-tight leotard. Well, anyway, you know, this is what you do. The rent don't pay itself. You know what I mean? You got to play the teams on the schedule. So I say yes to this deal, and I sign what's called a national buyout. And what a national buyout means is they're giving you a flat rate to be in this ad campaign, but they can essentially do whatever they want with it nationally without owing you any extra money, okay? So they give you what you think is really good money uh, as somebody just breaking into the business. Uh, and in exchange, you give them you know, license to do anything. So the long and short of it is that I think I'm starring in like three internet commercials. <laughs> and within a week of signing that deal, I am literally getting, and I'm, with no exaggeration, 50 calls a day 
from around the country, from people I know who are seeing me on the back of semi trailers on interstates with my picture as the Flips Ferry. They put me on a hundred trucks. They did a hundred truck buy around the country. And it got to the point that me and my family were driving to Ohio to meet my wife, because my wife is from Ohio. And we're on Route 80, and my son spots me on the back of a truck in a fairy costume. And that's as good of a time as a dad will ever have to give his kid the speech about staying in school. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <That> <laughs> I was like, now look, Lincoln, now look, Lincoln, you study hard. <laughs> not, not good. What? But yes. <laughs> so you say bicycle. I might have been on a bicycle. I can't promise you. I don't confirm nor deny the, the allegation. Now you know we've we've got to go find this fairy picture now. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, that yeah. <laughs> Darren's already looking fair. for it. <laughs> What's uh, great. So, so <laughs> tell me about how your relationship began with Fox. Oh, wow. So I was doing stand up at a club here in the city, Gotham, the Gotham Comedy Club. Um, that club uh, had a TV show called Gotham Comedy Live, and it was on Access TV, which is a network co-owned by um, Mark Cuban and Ryan Seacrest. And they had a TV show that I would appear on like, you know, um, probably like once or twice a season, but I was also the head monologue writer for the show. So what that meant is every week a new celebrity would host the show who wasn't a comic. And it would be my job to write their monologue and turn them into a comic in a week. So people like William Shatner, David Hasselhoff, Pamela Anderson, like interesting people, but they weren't comics. So anyway, while I was in the process of doing that, uh, one of the bookers for the Kennedy show, Kennedy, the MTV VJ, my good friend who comes on my show all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I go on her show. Um, one of the bookers saw me on that TV show and asked me to come by and do Kennedy show the next day. And they, I did, I did it the next day. And then I just became like a regular on-air guest after that, where I was on like once a week. And then they eventually asked me to leave the show I was writing for and become the head writer for her show. And then that got me, um, the term is in the building. That got me in the building at Fox where you are now like around every day. And when somebody walks around in the building at Fox with like my energy and attitude, they just assume <laughs> I'm there breaking thumbs for the bookmaker. Like, you know, somebody didn't, you know, I'm running the company office pool or something. So I got into the building and basically just walked around in a series of very loud sport coats because it made people think I knew what I was doing. It was a confidence scheme. What's uh? It's interesting because I follow Kennedy show too. And it seemed like around that time, it kind of changed the dynamic a little bit too, which is yeah. probably has a lot to do with your writing. What's uh, so, so the radio show and, and has that kicked off? When did you guys start and kind of how fast is it growing and all that? I mean, right now, like we've kind of hit the stride in that we've picked up about 20 new affiliates in the last two months, two and a half months. Uh, because we're finally able to like market the show. Like when we launched it on March 9th of last year, you know, everything kind of shut down. Um, there weren't like any in-person seminars, not any conventions. We weren't doing any like what we would call market visits. Like our plan in the coming year is to work out a market visit with every single station that carries the show, which in this case would be, I would think if you totaled live broadcast and delayed broadcast, almost like 70 stations. 
Um, so we would be at, you know, probably all of them for at least one or two broadcasts in the coming year if, you know, people are okay with it in that market. Um, and it's, you know, kind of now really picking up speed. And the reason being is I think our politics, I obviously lean a ways to the right, but I think our politics have gotten so toxic that by default, they created a big market opening for a show like mine, which is obviously covering all the big grown-up topics, but doing it from a really uh, easy to digest standpoint. You know what I'm saying? Like if you listen to my show and you don't agree with it, you won't shut it off because you don't feel like I'm trying to like own the lids. I'm yeah. not like trying to like conquer. I'm not trying to destroy because, you know, I kind of get America as a guy who started off driving a cab. I kind of get that everybody's really lucky to live here. So I kind of see my show as more of a pro-America show than a pro-Republican show, even though I lean to the right. I want to see I want to see everybody in the country get how lucky they are to live here because I think we'd actually get back to a much healthier place. I don't know if you guys noticed, but everybody hates each other right oh, now. Oh, everybody's like, so I hate pissed you too. I've already, off. I, I can't stand you guys. Like, I'm done with <laughs> everybody's so pissed off. And some days yeah. it's like, man, just get over well, it. Okay. Speaking of, of hating people though. So what, what's your favorite guest so far that you've hated so much? Oh. <laughs> Ooh. I'll, listen, I'll give you a guess that actually impressed me. I, I always thought, that Ted Cruz was a, was a bit of a weenie. Do you know the term weenie? It's like somebody's kind of a jerk a little bit. And uh, yep. I have nothing against Ted Cruz. Uh, you just thought he was I've a little whiny been, guy, in, baby. In kind of following him in the media, thought he was like a little bit of a bozo. And when he was on the show, I, I was genuinely blown away by what a different human being I was talking to in terms of like, we were talking about Rocky movies and, you know, frozen drinks and sport, oh, the Houston Rockets and the 1984 NCAA championship game. And it was like, so this other dude and it blew me away. Um, if you want somebody I hated, uh, like flat out hated, um, the New York Mets manager, Bobby Valentine. Do you guys remember Bobby Valentine managed oh, the Mets, yeah. managed the Red Sox? Just one of the biggest jackasses <laughs> I've ever met. And I have to explain this to you really quick. Um, Major League Baseball was doing like an initiative when they kicked off the season last year where they always come to Fox because mm -hmm. of Fox Sports and everything like that. And they'll get you like people you do no business talking to. Like, do you want Ken Griffey Jr. on? You know? And I'm like, yeah, of, co of course I want. You know, they'll like, it's, it's a different animal here. They'll get me Ted Williams's head out of the freezer and let me talk to it. <laughs> it's the cryogenic lab. Like, we got real pull over here. They got real power behind it. And uh, so... Bobby Valentine, I told him a story of when the Yankees were playing the Mets in an interleague baseball game in the year 2000, I was in like a hospitality tent with Bobby Valentine and we took a picture and my mom put it up on her fridge. So Bobby Valentine, who's on my show this day, and I tell him, oh, you know, you're the first guest I've ever interviewed is on my mom's fridge. He took that as Oh, you know, because I'm Bobby Valentine. Women think I'm like really hot. <laughs> she must be like so into me yeah. and was like, but, so but kind of like not rolling with the mo your mom thinks I'm hot joke rolling with the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big star kid. I get this all the time. Why are you even bothering me with this crap? So anyway, about six minutes into the interview at the point that I really like, I, I just thought he was coming off so bad and I'd be within my rights to do it. He had asked me, he's like, so, you know, is your mom like a huge is, is a huge um met fam and I, I actually like read him as truth and i was like no no i'm like my mom 
you know, is a huge Yankee fan and she thinks you're wildly overrated as a manager, like you were kind of like a media whore. I like, she kind of thought you were like a media whore and we put you on our fridge and then he actually gave it to me. He goes, you know, I got another interview after this. I just so you know. And then I wound up like getting through a minute and letting them go. But that's the only time, honestly, in the history of the show, even if I've had like a de- any Democrat on, a Bloomberg, anybody like that, uh, he was the only one that I really had to give it to, but he deserved it. He was like well within oh, his yeah. life. <laughs> oh, anytime you try to break a mom joke, especially. <laughs> yeah, I know because uh, I, awesome. was giving it, I was giving it to him, but instead of just taking it, like, I was like, you could even say, oh, your mom likes, I'd roll with it. I'm like, my mom has no standards. Look at my dad, you know? <laughs> but he had to, he had to take it to like a next level and be like a showbiz star. Like, shut up. What Great. the hell is wrong <laughs> with you? <laughs> It's so the, the, the general vibe of the show is very much what we're doing here. It's like, whatever's going on in the world, we're talking about <laughs> it. I, I kind of have a, a weird worldview because I drove a cab and the people who get into a cab are from everywhere in New York. You're picking people up at international airports and stuff like that. And you know, you're never going to see any of these people again. And what you notice is when you work in that type of scenario, you know, a lot of people do, you know, whether you work in a resort, you work wherever, you know, plenty of people interact on a daily basis. If you work with the public with someone you might not see ever again. But the difference in a taxi is it's very intimate. You're sharing a ride for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. There's an actual like social bond to, to what goes on if you're actually conversing with them. So you really learn to like deal with people with a level of honesty that's kind of like liberating because, you know, you're never going to see them again. Um, and because of that, I kind of converse on the show that way too, because chances are, I'm never going to see these people again after they hear one episode, they're going to be like, Oh, no way. But, uh, no, it's very, it's very straightforward. And it's very like, you know, we try to make it solutions based, if that makes sense. Yeah. So many shows now, man, it's like you get home and you listen to the show in the car on the way home and you get home and you're like, you just instantly want to go in and smack your wife in the face or beat the hell out of somebody because you're you're all pissed off. I mean, I say off. this about driving a cab. Like, I used to listen to AM radio, and then I would eventually I started shutting it off because I felt like the emotion, like you just described, is unsustainable. Like, I don't, I never feel like I want to hit my wife just because she grew up on a dairy farm and I can't take her. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if, but if, if, if I had one of those, I'm just She'd saying, kick your you know, ass, I'm like, I'm ranked two in the coach's poll. I'm ranked two in the computer poll in my head. It, it's so much bile. And what, what, what's so frustrating about it is if you're hosting a talk radio show, 99% of your audience agrees with you. So why are you yelling? You know what I'm saying? It's like you're yelling at people who are on your side. This is not preaching to the choir. This is yelling at the people who are filling the collection basket. You know, you're yelling at them. And it's not because of anything they're doing, which makes it which makes it even more insane that you're yelling at them. And I started in my cab and I know this is psychotic, but I used to shut off the radio. And I would drive around monologuing in a taxi, like describing what was going on in traffic. My favorite thing to do would be to do play-by-play of people going into Dwayne Reed drugstores <laughs> and telling my imaginary audience why they were going into the drugstore. You know what I mean? So on like a Saturday morning, I'd be like, oh, that guy's aisle three cranberry juice. Somebody didn't wear protection last night, like one of those. And uh, it was always like so entertaining. And then the guests would jump in and become the guests, like, you know, the passengers were the guests. And that's how this, that's how this show that I do now 
um, came to be. It's the exact same show, uh, except we're doing a lot more, you know, a lot of grown-up topics. Not as much cranberry juice. <laughs> what are some of the, <laughs> what great. are some of the highlights? Like, uh, what are some of the highlights that that you really like about your show? You know what? I'll tell you. The best thing is people who hate people like them on my show. So a good example of that is uh, Jim <clears throat> Jordan, Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Yeah. Every Democrat on earth who has heard him on my show thinks he's the coolest person they've ever met because he comes on and of course he takes his political positions, but we talk in a way that's very much um, kind of like, it's like a, a better ambassador to who his actual character is. Like we may, I, you know, he's a Cleveland Browns fan. So I'm always begging on the Browns. Uh. He's a Cincinnati Reds fan. So we're always fighting about the Reds and the gang. Darren's all pissed and off about because the Cleveland Browns he is thing. technically my wife's congressman in the fourth district of Ohio, where she grew up. Uh, so I know a lot about all of like the dirtbag bars he would hang out in growing up and stuff like that. So you get like, it's funny, but like Jim Jordan on my show is like a flunky, like a fun guest who comes on and will let you make fun of him. And believe me, when he, um, when he steps on the gas and is making a point and is making like a legal point, <laughs> there's a gear shift. And you yeah. see this other thing happening because you know he has that ability but he comes off cool. And I think that's been one of my favorite things is winning people over to like folks they didn't like going into the interview. Um, I would say that number one, um, I would say number two, something really interesting we do um, is we have my son Lincoln Fala on, on Friday a lot. That's and cool. he's 12 and some, um, someday I'll probably lose a custody battle over his appearances on this show <laughs> because he is like way out to lunch. But what he does is he comes on and after like spending a week on TikTok and, you know, Snapchat and all the little kid apps and, you know, the Xbox Live, he likes to come on. He does a segment called Playground Politics, where he talks about politics from the standpoint of the 12 year old. Now, his positions are informed. Like if you say like, you know, if you were to say to Lincoln, like, um, you know, Lincoln, we're going to give you 20 bucks for this appearance, he would immediately make a joke like. Well, Biden's president. So do I have to give 10% to the big guy? You know, like, how does this work? Like he knows, he knows he has a good handle on political humor, but the better, the better contribution to the segment is that you realize like in these moments, like people are all consuming politics from different vantage points. Like the one we're used to consuming it from is like, you watch these cable news channels. I watch these cable news channels and we bludgeon each other. But the people on TikTok are watching a completely different show because when right. they watch politics, it's just like what six second clip can I cut into an air supply video <laughs> to make it look funny? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's what they're doing. It's all like juxtaposition and stuff, but it's such a cool way to consume politics because you start looking for fun in areas you wouldn't know where to look. And that's, it's, it's actually like the greatest thing, man, when it works, it works pretty well. There's a lot of the uh the uh the uh the 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 going on. <laughs> so much. So much. We do a lot of bits, we do a lot of sketches. I'll give you an example. Like this week, because they recalled Gavin Newsom in California. I'll send you this. We did a really good parody of Hotel California called Recall California. And I wrote the lyrics. Obviously, I have a production team that's like next level studio musicians. And it was, if you know Hotel California, these are the lyrics. It's on a non-moving highway, weed smoke in the air, 
There's so much pollution, homeless folks everywhere, such an awful existence, can't go outside at night. The crime is heavy, the odds are slim, you won't get in a fight. Junkies sleep in my doorway, I can't escape the smell. This place used to be heaven, but now it's hell. You know, it's Cal Hotel California, same lyrics, <laughs> you know? And, um, but to hear it done by, I mean it, a Don Henley level of production is, it's next level funny, it's good. And we did uh, today, because you know LeBron James was making, you know, kind of headlines uh -huh. for yelling at the cops like an idiot. Yeah. We did a <laughs> idiot. We, did, yes. we did a really good parody of the Gatorade like Mike commercial called LeBron. <laughs> so you know that one's like like Mike, if I could be like Mike, this one's called LeBron. Please stop your tweets, LeBron. And we got little kids singing and we got the beat and everything, the bongos. It's really good. <laughs> really good. So I think that's my favorite thing, honestly, Fletcher is bringing a little bit of my comedy background into heavy stories because it gives us a fun point of entry when we discuss them as opposed to just like everybody wants to kill everybody. <laughs> it, you, you said idiot. And that kind of goes to a little segment that Darren and I do every time we do this. We, we basically want to know what's the most idiotic thing that you've experienced in the last four weeks. In your opinion, uh, I mean, I know there's a lot to choose from right now, but this is this is next level. Um, I, I, all right, I'll start here. I mean, see that wheel uh, that we were talking yeah. about? No, I love it. No, no, fat guy on wheel, fat guy on wheel. I mean, I think the easy answer is agreeing to do this interview, but <laughs> what the hell? No, knowing knowing what I now know, uh, no, I, I kid. In the last in the last four weeks, that puts me back at the. It is almost May, early April. I want to be fair. I want to be inclusive about this as to what I've done with myself. I'm just thinking back on my weekends and what I have decided to do. Because I had a couple of bad ones. Like this Saturday, I wound up in my backyard. Nothing idiotic, but it was me, Kennedy, as you know, Fox Business host Kennedy, my dad, smoking Joe Fela, uh, and my brother. But we were just having cigars and kind of hanging out. Nothing idiotic happened. But I will get, I will grant you that two, two weeks sooner than that, if that makes sense, um, idiotic thing that I did is I was upstairs tracking a sketch in my, um, you know, what would be, uh, I guess, the studio where I do my home recording. And unbeknownst to me, in a monsoon, I mean a monsoon, do you know how the remotes on your car have quick commands? Where, you know, everybody <laughs> on their car remote has a button that strategically makes your alarm go off for 17 minutes at two in the morning. You know, just <laughs> map, map, map. Anyway, through some confluence of events, it was, I think, three Saturday nights ago in a monsoon, some quick command on my car lowers all four windows, opens the moonroof. And I mean, uh, and I mean a monsoon, so much so that I caught it nine hours later. Now, the car works fine. But I need you to understand this. If I close the windows because there is so much, I guess, moisture in the car. If I close my windows for a second, for a second, the whole car gets the condensation that's on the inside that cannot be killed with a defroster. Do you know what I'm describing? Yeah. Where it's yeah. like you could wipe it off with your hand, but you, but it's actually physically collected water. You can't wipe it down with like with a defroster. So I would say that that's got to be the win. Um, because to this day, there's at least two inches of water in my car. So, so the key question here is what kind of car? 
Uh, oh, my God. Remember when you yelled at me the first time we met because I had a Hyundai? It, this is don't tell me in it's my the same wife's, damn Hyundai. This is in my wife's Kia. Uh, it's a Kia Sorento. Oh, my God. And you have got two douchebag cars. I, well, well, I want you to notice. <laughs> I, I have had. I mean, I drove a Crown Vic my whole life. I drove a Ford, but I grew up in a big Ford house. My brother, Joey, um, had a 67 Mustang. That should have been a 289, but he put a 427 Cobra jet in it. It was rad. <laughs> we used to drag race it. We've had a lot of um, cars aren't a thing for me, bud, because it's all mass transit here in New York City. So we own like, and I live on Long Island, but we call them station cars. And it's basically the vehicle you leave at a train station for 99% of your life. Yeah. Um, I own I own bikes. I ride a lot of bikes. Um, I've had, man, I've probably had seven different Harleys. I've had a big dog that was a custom chopper that they make yeah. out in kansas they make like those these are pro street bikes with fat tires like the 330s yeah. so i've driven a lot of wild bikes but my car game is not that exciting uh in in, in parenthood and i'm sorry to disappoint your audience i'm telling you what man maybe that's why you got your <laughs> yeah. butt kicked when you were little <laughs> you're like daddy can i have a hyundai when i get older Come on. Wait, what? I, I, I didn't quite hear that, but I assume it was a cheap shot at me and I'll just take it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. We got to work on your car game, man. What the hell? Well, this is the deal. I didn't want to like, when I signed my first Fox contract, you know, it was a guy who drew up driving a cab. It was a big deal. And so I didn't want to do the, t- the typical first showbiz contract thing where you go out and just blow every penny up assuming there'll be five more of these. (laughs) Um, I have, in order to be successful, and I think everybody in showbiz who is successful has an abusive stage dad living in their head that yells at them at all hours of the day to do things better, to do things right, to be more responsible. Like I am basically the Jackson one. You know, the Jackson five had like Joe Jackson yelling at him all day, like fix the choreography. You know what I mean? Somebody don't want dessert, you know, like that kind of thing. So I have that in my head everywhere I go. I have an abusive stage dad yelling at me to do things better. And that honestly, it kept me from getting what I wanted to be. And all I wanted, man, is I wanted a massive, a massive, either a GMC, um, I guess it would be a Yukon or a Chevy Suburban because I drive to Ohio a lot. It's 661 miles. Yeah. And I just wanted to do it with some space. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I have been done it, but that's all I want. I don't even want anything sporty and flashy because I would just get another bike if I was gonna do that. The next cool car I buy would be a 61 Lincoln Continental. That's I a want cool the car. car, you know, I want one of those, like a big old convertible. What's, uh, what's your typical day like now that you're doing the radio show? Oh, wow. Um, uh, I get up, um, if you wanted like the whole production model with like the Tide Pods and everything, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. I I, play by play, I, baby. No. Play by play. I am, um, so my show is noon to three. What I find based on the time I've spent like writing comedy for TV, writing books, writing screenplays, is you're always at your best creatively the minute you roll out of bed because your brain hasn't been corrupted by the world. Like you haven't interacted with other people and stuff like that. So I'm a big fan of writing in the morning. So I generally will get up at like five um, and I'll kind of sketch out what I think an outline of my show might look like based on the guests I know that are going to be on that day, based on the news stories that I care and that are out there and whatever is at, whatever actually resonates with me, I'll kind of sketch out what I think would be 
five or six, you know, bullet points that could influence a monologue before we get audio sound and sketch and I write sketches and stuff like that. Um, and essentially whatever I think that production model is in the morning, I scan, I sketch it out between like five and six. Um, you wouldn't believe this, but I usually work out between like six and six 30, um, jump on a train, get into Fox. And that's about an hour. And at that point we have a morning editorial meeting that is, you know, um, the people who work on my show, um, the news division, the brain, um, the brain room, which are the people who are fact checking everything that's going to come out of my mouth. Like we're held to such a higher standard because we're Fox News and people want to get mad at us. So, I mean, even legal is vetting things that might come out of your mouth. Like it's pretty intense over here. But that's about that's why about um, let's say eight o'clock. So from about eight to nine, I run through the process of editorial. At nine, I record, it's called a commentary, a one minute commentary about something going on in the news that I might've sketched out on the train. Um, and then I have a window from about 9.30 to 11.30, to typically where I'm doing a lot of interviews like this to promote the show on like other stations and stuff like that. Um, and I'll do usually like twice a week, I'll do an 11 o'clock TV hit. Um, sometimes with like Harris Faulkner on the Faulkner Focus. Sometimes I'll do one of the Fox Nation shows. Um, but between like 1130 and 12, I'm just kind of really going over what's going to happen on my show. And then when it goes live at 12, it's very much jazz. And what I mean by that is I've obviously read up on all of these stories and I know I'm who I'm going to be talking to. But because I have kind of a live performance background doing stand up, even if I'm like editorializing and monologuing, it's straight jazz. Like I open that mic and do not know what's coming out of my <laughs> mouth. But you learn to trust your average and it sounds so much more cohesive than it is. You have no idea. Um, but that is, that's actually the production model. And once you bang through those three hours of shows, I usually have to do more interviews and stuff like that. And there's, you know, I do TV at night. Um, and then, you know, to just finish on that thought. So a day here will end if I'm not doing TV around like, you know, probably like 536. Cause when I get off the air, I, I'm always calling in and checking up on my on the stations that carry the show. I'm always talking to new stations that are checking out the show. Um, and then at some point, I, if I'm doing TV or I'm doing another Fox show here, like Fox Nation or Fox Ra Fox's Radio, I'm generally here till about six every night. Um, then I go home and it, it's done. If I'm not doing TV, it's I'm just done. I'm hanging out with Jenny and, and my son Lincoln and. I, oddly enough, you wouldn't know this from listening to the show. I don't drink during the week. Um, I do. I know most people just assume I'm getting paid in Meisterbrow. It's not true. Uh, but usually on Thursday night. Okay. This is when things get interesting. I usually do Kennedy show on Thursday night and that's her last show of the week. They're only on Monday through Thursday. So they like to hang out on Thursday night. And I kind of take on this weird attitude. I do something called, it's called the West coast turnaround. And if you're a trucker, they used to do a route in the seventies before we had all of these laws to keep people off the road after too many hours and stuff. Um, truckers used to do West coast turnarounds where they would leave New York, drive to California, drop off the rig and turn around and come back without even spending the night. That was a thing. A guy told me about that in my cab. So I started as a cab driver on Thursday nights doing West coast turnarounds where I would do stand up uh, and I would be get home at like three or four in the morning. And I'd have to be back on the road driving my cab at like four 30 in the morning. So I would kind of do like an old, like an all nighter. And I do that a lot with my show now um, because it's weird, but when you are like, like patently exhausted, you get to this state of delirium 
that actually makes you better at everything you're doing because you don't have the energy to second guess any of your instincts. And your instincts are pretty good because you've done the things you're doing so many times that it's not like you're, you're like getting on the air like punch drunk. You're getting on the air as you. You're just not putting as much thought into what comes out of your face. And I find my Friday shows that are always my favorite show to do. And it's not because it's the last one. It's because I'm doing them in an altered mind, mindset that is it's just affected by just lack of sleep. But it's always fun for me. That's pretty cool. I'm giving you a lot. I'm giving you a lot, by the way. I mean, hey, I, you want my social security number? I feel like uh, you talk about letting you stand behind the magician. I showed you where I put the rabbit. I'm about to give you the rabbit's gender and get myself canceled. This isn't good. Yeah, you can't go there, man. You can't go there. <laughs> Don't ever assume a rabbit's gender. No, no, that'll end bad. No, it will definitely end bad. I was in a, a restaurant the other day, and, and we were looking at, uh, uh, there was an old old cartoon in the back playing, and it was a like an old Woody Woodpecker cartoon. And I'm like, why in the hell haven't they canceled this yet? Like they've canceled everything else. Like why haven't they, I mean, they literally have the word pecker in the title. Like why haven't they canceled that? <laughs> yeah. He got by a lot. And, and honestly, I, you know, the, the work done to the wood industry, if you just, lo- if you just look at the damage he's done to say, if you want to talk about infrastructure, which is such a hot topic right now, yeah. Think of the need. Our infrastructure is largely crumbling because of him, if you really yeah. want to be honest. Maybe he's driving up the lumber prices. Maybe that's the issue. <laughs> You're live on the Regional Media Podcast Network. Darren Brown, Fletcher Ford. Uh, I've now been in 57 states. I think one left to go. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That sounds so good. <laughs> the discussion. Who is your all-time favorite comedian? Being a, Ooh, being a you know, comic yourself. yourself. Don't say yourself. Who's your all-time favorite? Don't say yourself. Uh, if, if Without you guys, offending if, any of the your, your friends in the, the, the oh, comedy that's world. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Um, do you guys, are you familiar with a guy who toured named Kevin Meany? A little bit, yeah. That's stuff. not right. That guy was a big pants guy. He was yep. on like Mr. Show for a while. Um, I Kevin Meany was the first guy I saw do stand up live. He was opening for Seinfeld at the Broadhurst Theater. If you remember when Seinfeld ended the TV show Seinfeld, he went on a TV tour, a stand up tour the next night. And the night after Seinfeld ended, I was in a theater because somebody couldn't go and they gave me and my buddy Vinny tickets. And we went and saw Seinfeld and Kevin Meany. And Meany was the first guy I saw walk onto a comedy stage. And he just, he murdered on like such a level that it made you want to not only do comedy, but think you could. And that's the <laughs> danger of really good standup is it looks so easy that everybody just assumes they know how to do There's that. There's a lot of bad comedians. But to get to that place where you can really murder a room full of 300 strangers um, and feel that euphoria that that is, you have to subject yourself to like years of having your soul in a fetal position in front of just rooms of drunk tourists and, you know, angry women smoking cigars in the Bronx, throwing bottles at you and none of it works. <laughs> and there is so much pain behind the profit of stand-up comedy. Uh, but Meany <laughs> was the guy that I loved, um, just genuinely my favorite guy. If you wanted somebody everyone's heard of, as a little kid, it was Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, and no the reason respect, I loved baby. him is just because his jokes are repeatably funny. 
And to me, that's that that's like the biggest thing about stand-up is like being able to go see somebody and then telling your friends the next day what the funny thing was. <laughs> yeah, right. you know what ha- what happens yeah. now in the age of yeah what happens now in the age of Instagram comedy is it's not actually funny. Like you can't go to your friend and be like, oh, you don't understand. They were playing Trump audio and a girl was lip syncing to it. <laughs> like that's not actually funny. But like right, Sarah yeah. Cooper has 428 million followers. But it's like <laughs> the, the phone changes the context of like what is actually funny. And the people who are the biggest Twitter comedians are generally not funny in person because Twitter is a shorthand language that you could master if you wanted to and always learn to say things in a way that's maximized for, for your audience to get. If you wanna re- remain in like your own authentic voice, you might not work on Twitter, but you'll crush in a comedy club. And like the coolest thing to be is the best guy in the comedy club. So like, you don't care who the headliner is um, because the, the headliner themselves knows based on being in the room and the true reactions you're getting, they know the truth. And that's always much better than just getting the likes from people you're never going to meet. So have you, have you ever been, have you ever opened up for any other act or anything like that and where they got paid more than you and it pissed you off? <laughs> oh, wow. Not, not pissed me off, but I'll give you one really funny story. Um, because you get like that part I get because like in showbiz, especially in standup too. Um, it's name driven, you know, right? There, there, there's something to be said um, for star power. And what I mean by that is like, I've, I've been on shows with Kevin Hart per se. And I don't think Kevin Hart's terribly funny, but he has an energy that people are drawn to. And that star power makes people show up anyway, even if they don't think he's that funny. Or maybe they do think he's funny, but it's the star power hoodwinking them. So I get that there are people that are just a better magnetic draw than you at whatever various stage of your career you might be in. But here is a funny story. There's a, an Italian comic that I'm friends with named Sebastian Maniscalco, who um, he's just done a tonight, tonight Show a thousand times. And he's very like, he's like a jazzercise dancer. You know, he's uh, jumping around, hopping around. And everybody in his audience are giant Italian families because his whole show is like, remember when? You know, you're an Italian, you did this. You're an Italian, you did that. I mean, I make a few of those references in my act. I just don't do an hour of Olive Garden comedy. Anyway, <laughs> nice guy. Very nice to me. Very, I promise, very nice. And um, a pro's pro. But on one particular night, um, I'm opening for him. And after the show, I'm standing downstairs outside the green room. And I run into his wife. And his wife... Uh, as, as we're talking, it's a very pleasant woman, two drunk dudes come running down the stairs and they're like, dude, <laughs> you understand, man. You should have been headlining. You're so much funnier than that guy, dude. Dude, you put that guy to shame. So listen to me. Just, this is what I do because I'm a pro. You understand? I don't want him to look bad in front of his wife. He's a headliner. So I said to her, I go, yeah. I go, this is how diabolical men are. Okay. That guy has no idea you're Sebastian's wife. He assumes I'm trying to hook up with you. And in the guy code, he knew he could help me close the deal if he said that. And she goes, guys really do that? That's crazy. I go, of course they do. A second later, the women's room swings open and eight girls run out and go, oh my God, you were so much funnier than Sebastian. (laughs) And I was like, all right, honey, I tried. I think your husband's great. He's got a great career ahead of him. 
<laughs> That's but it was like, there was just nothing I could do. And honestly, I didn't want the win. I did not, I don't want the win because the truth is like, if the headliner really does think you're funnier than them, they don't ask you to open for them. You don't get the gig. You dig. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's why what's funny is like, if you're on the road and you're at a local club, like say I grew up in Levittown, New York. So you're playing the club in Levittown, New York. Okay. The club is going to determine who the opening act is. And for that reason, a lot of times when you go to the local club, the opening act is better than the headliner because the headliner is like a regional celebrity. It's like Biff from Back to the Future. You know what I mean? It's like Balky from Perfect Strangers, like whoever the heck it is, some like 80s guy with a follow. And he's great. These are wonderful people. Uh, but the point is, the stereotype, if you go to a local club, is that the opener is usually better than the closer. Okay. On the road with a national headliner, like if you're playing theaters, it's never the case because guys who are big stars make sure they have an opener than them that isn't going to show them up. Yeah, you dig. So like if you got a call tomorrow and they were like, hey, you're opening for Sebastian, at, you know, what Madison Square Garden, you're real. You're not that you're not that good. What he's telling you in a weird way. You're good. You're just not, you know, going to blow the room out like him. You pretty much suck. <laughs> but, um, so is there anyone else I can alienate in showbiz? Can you throw out some more uh, names? I mean, come on, guys. I feel like we're doing good here. I'm trying to get you canceled, man, but it's not working. <laughs> Oh, buddy. <laughs> What's uh? So we got about four minutes left here. Uh, give us the elevator pitch of the show. You know what can the listeners expect on on the regional media stations and? Yes, um, the elevator pitch for Fox Across America is we're putting your vitamins in your applesauce. If you were a little kid and your parents wanted you to take vitamins, they might have given you a bowl of applesauce, bowl of ice cream, so you ate it without even knowing you took your vitamins. That is the show. We are covering the hardest news, the hardest subjects, like whether it's race, police violence, whatever the hell it is. We're covering it. You're consuming it without even feeling the weight of the topic because we have a way of distilling information that makes it really easy to drink down. You know, uh, Leo Terrell was on the other day. People probably see him on Hannity all the time. They probably see him all over Fox. And if he's, you watch him on Sean Hannity, <laughs> he's obviously, he's usually kneecapping some Democrat over some BS racism narrative. And he does that a lot on my show. But when we're talking about race, we're generally like making fun of each other a lot, making the same substantive points, but we're doing it from a standpoint where the vibe is, it's just easy to be around. That's the, that's the best thing I could say about our show is you could disagree with every word you would, you'd find it to be good company because radio really quick is a buddy cop movie you know you in a buddy cop movie guy gets into the squad car and he's like oh i got a new partner let's see if we can get along and that's what radio is. you get in the car you turn the dial and you hear a voice coming out of the speaker now you got a new partner let's see if we can fight crime together. and i will tell you i'm a pretty good guy to fight crime with probably a better guy to create crime with given my record in my 20s and 30s but the point is we're supposed to be fighting it and i'm on board who knows better than fighting crime than a criminal mind like mine so hey who's with thank you for for putting the show together no you guys are great man for real i appreciate you because the thing we're trying to do with radio is really harness the potential of what radio can be you know like people kind of rush limbo is the best guy to ever do radio was so successful that everybody copied him and copied him and copied him till most of the country was listening to a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy. Yeah, what Rush right. was doing was a one of a kind and it was great. But where everybody thought Rush was successful was because he was, a, you know, politically a genius. He took bold positions. 
and he was constantly fighting for conservative values. That is absolutely true. But what made him successful was he was a phenomenal entertainer, playing bits, playing songs. He was funny. He was cool. You couldn't have listened to as much Rush as people did if you didn't think he was cool. And the fact that you guys get what I mean by that and you get that that's what radio is capable of, like you guys are doing your stations a favor. Like I say this all the time, my show is not successful because of my talent, but because of the lack thereof. Like I am one of you. I'm just a dude hanging out, talking about the news. And it's such a better companion in the car, in the office, or where my most of my listeners are in a prison wreck yard listening on a transistor radio. But the point is, it's such a better vibe to be around. So thank you, for real, thank you guys without having a moment for just getting you know the value of that vibe because we're gonna like change the reputation of talk radio from like a conservative shout fest to like, oh, this is a cool place to hang out. And that's what it's gonna be. It's Fox Across America will be a cool place to hang out, especially when there's a guest host. Well, at least it didn't end like The Sopranos where it just cut to black. Well, you know how they say the show must go on? Well, they weren't talking about this show. I think that's a 10. Let's go with a 10. That's all I'm gonna say about it. Well, that's all there is to it. At the end of the day though, loved every minute. The party is over. That's it? That's all you got? Now get the hell out of here.